Hi, welcome to Three Worlds Podcast, Series 3, Episode 4. Going to be looking at divination this time. Divination is a really ancient art, a really ancient and important art and very much part of shamanism. It's kind of an essential in shamanism and um, of course many people practice divination without shamanism. But today I'm going to look at some of the traditions, some of the methods, some of the ways of working that are found in Central Asia, Tibet, Mongolia, Siberia and uh, kind of talk about the importance of these things within shamanism. So divination is ancient. I mean, I couldn't begin to say how old it is, but it must be tens of thousands of years old. It's probably as old as humanity, I guess you could probably pretty much say, and I bet that's not far off the truth. We have been doing it for so long we always want to peer around the corner of life and see what's coming. We always want to know what tomorrow might bring. We always want to know what's happening somewhere where we can't actually see it. So divination must be so ancient. And because of that, and because humans are really, really inventive, creative creatures, there are so many, probably infinite, methods of divination and I guess any one is as good as any other the trick of any divination is not the mechanical A equals X and B equals Y and C equals Z you know the kind of you see this therefore it means whatever it means you know like you get in new age books where it's all laid out and it's all kind of um, rather concrete. Divination isn't about that at all. Divination is kind of about being aware again, you know, following on almost from the last three podcasts about wind horse. If you've got a good degree of wind horse, a good degree of, of awareness, then you're going to be more tuned in and... Sure, you may see something that has got a concrete meaning, but you'll be able to see way past the concrete meaning. Your kind of intuition, your hunch, your ability to see into the mist, into the sort of the, the darkness that is around and see beyond that will be greatly amplified. So again, this is, this is one of the sort of powers that happen as you increase your wind horse. One of the manifestations. There's a, a, a Buddhist word for all of that. It's called a siddhi. A siddhi is the powers that develop when you have been practicing and you have developed your wind horse. So shamans kind of generate wind horse and they then generate their siddhi. So I think it's probably a Sanskrit word. Pretty sure it is. Anyway, so divination can be seen as a very mundane A equals, you know, X, as I said, uh, or it can be seen as something that we kind of peer into the void and we draw out from the void what's actually happening. And that's a city, that's using your wind horse as a method of, of uh, or as a, a sort of aid to your third eye seeing, okay, if you like. So, okay, I bet loads of you do divination of some sort now. 
So some of what I'm saying really won't be unknown to you at all. You know, hands up who does tarot. Hands up who does I Ching. There are loads and loads. And, and of course, there's a whole plethora of kind of new age cards, the medicine cards and sacred path cards. And goodness knows what else. I'm probably way behind the time. They all probably fell out of use years ago. And there's probably a whole new batch of them now. Seems like every publisher wants to rush out a deck of some sort of card. And of course, in a way, you know, they're all valid and they all kind of work. Myself, I like to use really ancient ways because I'm just that kind of guy, you know, I'm kind of a bit old fashioned. So I have methods that are pretty ancient. Of course, the I Ching is pretty ancient, uh, but I've never got to grips with that, so I don't do it. Um, but I've got methods from Tibet uh, that were written down in the 8th century. So that's pretty old. And uh, I do some divination methods from Mongolia, which have been passed down hand to mouth, hand to mouth, hand to ear, ear to mouth, mouth to ear. Oh, dear me. I need another coffee. Um, and uh, those, are, those are very, very ancient as well. So, so there are very ancient traditions and there are kind of new ones. I guess if something has lasted its time, it sort of says something about it that it's kind of worked. You know, proof of the pudding and all of that lot. So I think I would rather trust um, something that's, you know, 1500 years old than something that was kind of invented in a graphics department of a book publisher um, three months ago. That's not to say that the thing invented in a graphics department of a book publisher doesn't work. It's just, you know, I, I like kind of old things. It's, uh, it's just, just my personality. Um, all of my ritual objects tend to be fairly old and very often quite dirty because, yeah, they're a bit like me. <laughs> old and dirty and a bit corroded. So I guess the, the first uh, kind of ways that oracles happen or, you know, divination happened was the observation of natural things. And in a way, this is a little bit like when we do a medicine walk. You know, you're doing a divination method when you do a medicine walk. So a medicine walk, okay, let's just briefly recap what that is. A medicine walk is a specific walk that you do. You cross a threshold, like you leave your front door. And the threshold of the front door means that once you've crossed it, you're in sacred space. And then you go a walk. And you go and see what happens on that walk. And you take it that everything on that walk that happens to you or that you observe is significant and has a deeper meaning. And then as you finish the walk, you step back over the threshold, back into your house or whatever it is that you're setting off from. And then the walk is over and you're no longer in the ceremony. That's a form of divination. Everything that happens, you know, you walk down the road and you see a strange coloured leaf or somebody says something to you in a strange way and you think, what does that mean? Whatever. It's whatever happens. Yeah, you see a postman, you know, a police car goes past, going, bima, bima. And whatever happens, it's, it's relevant. And then you go back once you cross the threshold again and you kind of digest it and you try and work out what on earth the universe is telling you. That is divination. So the first forms of divination, I'm sure, were kind of natural things. 
you know, it would have been looking at clouds. It would have been noticing the movements of animals. It would have been gazing into a fire. It would have been oh, all sorts of things. And all of those things are still used. They're all traditional methods. Seeing what birds fly and in what direction. Looking at a fire, seeing how the flames move. Anything like that, anything that is a natural phenomenon that is sort of unpredictable in some way, shape or form, anything like that can be used as divination. And again, it's about us using our city, using our wind horse power, the, the way that we have developed that to intuit what's going on. And then, of course, there's the other sort of divination, which is not so much connected to natural phenomena. It's the sort of more man-made things, like we might toss a coin, or we might roll a dice, or we might see how some sticks or bones or whatever fall and the patterns that they make. Many, many, many ways. Basically, it's anything that is random. Anything that is random can be the basis of a form of divination. So let me tell you about some of the methods that I use. I use dice methods quite often. There are some dice methods that were recorded in the 8th century in a cave on the Silk Road in northern China, kind of on the border of Tibet. And it was a sort of Tibetan-influenced area, and they were written in Tibetan. These, uh, these were written on manuscripts, these, these divination methods. There are lots of them. Uh, they were written in manuscripts and sealed up in a cave in the 14th century, and uh, later discovered, I think, in the 19th. And they've been translated slowly by scholars over the years. So some of these methods are probably far older than you know, the time when they were written down. They were probably old traditions then and then just recorded in the 8th century or so. Now, these are all done on four-sided dice called a pasaka dice. These are special dice which, like I say, they only have four sides. So they're long dice, and that's another name for them, long dice or stick dice. They have a long kind of four sides with two short ends and the ends because the the dice never land on the end those are not red so it's just the four sides and they're numbered one two three and four there are forms of dice that are used in gambling games in india and nepal like this um, they have a slightly different numbering system they are one two five and six and sometimes you can actually find those dice uh, old old sort of ivory or carved bone ones and uh, you can use those and you just make three the five and you make four the six so it's, it's quite easy to use those i've got a set like that myself they're probably well over a hundred years old made of ivory um but the, the the simple ones are just the four-sided numbered one two three and four we're much more used to six-sided dice in our culture, of course, um, and there are some divination methods that use six-sided dice, which are quite ancient, but the very first dice seem to have been four-sided, and I suspect that they come from the idea of knuckle bones. I'll talk about knuckle bones in a little while, but knuckle bones, generally from sheep, 
uh, are bones that have four sides and each of the sides are slightly different and they're also used for divination and I'm sure that these Pasica dice kind of uh, gradually evolved, they're kind of man-made knuckle bones basically but a very ancient thing. Now the method of using these is that you use three dice or one dice three times and that gives a total number of 64 different combinations. So, you know, you, you, you throw the three dice and maybe you get one, one, four. And in the manuscript, you look up what one, one, four means. And on that level, it's uh, a concrete meaning. But because you have developed your wind horse, you can kind of interpret it little bit like you would with the I Ching. I mean, the I Ching is so enigmatic. You have to kind of puzzle over it and work out what it's actually trying to say to you. And again, that's all about using your wind horse, using the city, your powers. Now, a lot of these practices, they relate to goddesses. Um, feels like uh, that Lady Luck, which is the sort of the modern day interpretation of the goddess, is the the power, the sacred power, which is responsible for a lot of these divination methods. Now, obviously, kind of the ancient Tibetans didn't call upon Lady Luck, well, at least not with that name. But uh, a lot of these practices are sort of have a Buddhist overlay. And so you would do the practice of a particular goddess, maybe Tara or one of the wrathful goddesses like uh, Palden Lamo. And uh, you would do those practices first and ask, call upon the goddess to help you understand and to guide your hand and to guide your mind. And I think that's actually quite an important thing if we think of it in perhaps a bigger way. In animism, everything has a spirit. And so a divination method has a spirit. And part of the reason I like to use old methods of divination is because the spirits of those divination methods have been around a long time. And so they have a goddess associated with them, but they also have their own spirit. And you kind of commune, for want of a better word, with that spirit by calling upon the goddess, by doing the practice, by entering into a kind of um, altered state, meditative state, whatever, when you do the practice so that you are really sort of stepping out of the mundane world a little bit and calling for help to see into the sacred realms. So I used two of these ancient dice methods. Um, they both use the four-sided Pasica dice and they are both obviously 64 readings because that's the combination that you get with three four-sided dice. And each of the two sets of readings is more suited for a particular kind of question. What might happen or what kind of flavours? And uh, each set of answers in these two divination methods give slightly different kind of interpretations. So they lend themselves to slightly different forms of questions. So those are quite easy divination methods to do. They're kind of quite simple. They don't need a lot of practice, a lot of ceremony, a lot of kind of setup. It's just simply rolling the three dice, one, two, three, seeing which numbers you get on each of the three and then looking it up in the book. And kind of then the, the, the trick is the meditation afterwards, the kind of interpreting. And this is kind of similar to the use of the knuckle bones that I was talking about a few minutes ago. Now, you generally use four knuckle bones. 
and each of the four knuckle bones has got a different side and you can learn to tell these sides apart. They are uh, generally given animal names which uh, are horse, camel, sheep and goat and uh, you, you know, like I say, you can pretty much easily tell them apart once you learn them. Now with the dice method, it's dice one, dice two, dice three, and the order matters. So if you get uh, dice one with the number two and dice two with the number three and dice three with the number one, you look up those numbers in that order. But it's not like that with the, the knuckle bones. If you kind of throw two sheep, one camel and a horse, the order doesn't matter. You just look up the reading for two sheep, one camel and a horse. The most uh, popular form of the knuckle bone divination comes from Mongolia and it is an oral tradition that's been passed down for a very long time. It's performed by shamans and non-shamans alike. And generally, as I said earlier, the knuckle bones are made from sheep bones. Um, but occasionally you see special sets which are made from other animals. I've seen a set that was made from wolf knuckle bones, but things like that are pretty rare. The Romans used uh, divination method using knuckle bones too, and they used five. And I have no idea of, you know, what the readings were or anything else. I just know that they used them with five knuckle bones. The, all of these things are incredibly old and, you know, humans, although they come from different cultures, they tend to use what's there. It's like if a culture has a sheep's knuckle bone, you find a use for it. So it's, uh, it's not surprising that sort of similar methods of divination arose in different cultures at different times. Humans are practical and humans use what they can put their hands on. Now, continuing the idea of sort of using bits of sheep, one of the oldest methods of divination is oracle bones. Now, these are shoulder blades of sheep, which uh, in ancient China were used, but the practice is still continued in, in Mongolia as well. You write on the sheep's bone, on the shoulder blade of the bone of the sheep, uh, different marks, different questions, whatever, and you put that in the fire and the bone cracks in the fire and then you get it out and you read the cracks. That's something that I don't know very much about. I've seen it done on videos and I know it was practiced in ancient China. It's one of the ways that uh, the ancient Chinese language was deciphered because they, uh, they unearthed a vast quantity of oracle bones which were about 3,000 years old. So this is a very ancient tradition. Um, just seeing how the cracks develop on the bone. And there's lots more ways of doing divination, and I'll come to some more of those in a little while, but it might be a good time now to actually say, well, why do divination? What is it used for in shamanism? A lot of Tibetan and Mongolian shamanism is very centred around astrology. The Chinese style or the Tibetan style astrology of working with the 12 animals of the birth years. You'll be familiar with these, you know, year of the dragon, year of the tiger, year of the horse, etc. There's 12 of them. And depending on which year you're born in has an effect on the work that a shaman will do for you. So if you go and see a traditional shaman, they will almost invariably ask you when you were born and then 
working out from your, the year that you were born and the relationships with other years and other bits and pieces, they will work out things like the best day to do a ceremony for you and other kind of indications. This is, uh, this is a sort of form of astrology. I'm not up on astrology. I'm barely up on even Western astrology. It's just not something that I've kind of looked into very much. Um, and I know even less about Tibetan uh, astrology. The, the Mongolian system is very much the Tibetan system. And that differs slightly to the Chinese system. But uh, if you want to learn about the Tibetan-Mongolian system, there are books on it out there. You can get a book on Tibetan astrology and, and kind of learn it. But it's very much part of the sort of um, go-to methods for Mongolian shamans. So a shaman will divine the best day, the best form of treatment that the client needs. They may well divine things as to actually what is ailing them, whether there is a spirit curse, whether there is a naga curse, whether whether there is some form of intrusion, what, what is actually happening. It gives that first preamble about things before you actually do any work. It's a form of diagnostics. Now, I tend, if I've got a client that comes to me that wants to have some shamanic healing work, I tend to do kind of diagnostics by talking to my spirits um, in a kind of, in, you know, in a way, in a sort of co-shamanic way. I kind of go and do a journey, talk to my spirits and say, hey, what's going on, guys? What do we need to do about this person? Um, I will also do divination. I will, if, you know, if I need something quick or a quick answer, I will do divination. But before I do any serious work, I will check out with my spirits about it first. And just as an aside, of course, that's always recommended. You know, it's like you always need to go and find out what's underneath the hood before you start stripping down the engine. Um, it's just basic common sense. And a client may go to a shaman specifically for divination, kind of like, um, should they make this move? Should this marriage happen? Should uh, I buy 15 sheep off this person here? It's, you know, it's it's whatever. Um, and some shamans will develop that. Very much that, that can be the daytime occupation of shamans because uh, shamans don't tend, in many traditions at least, don't tend to do big work during the day, but they will do the sort of smaller work like divination during the day. So they will be open to, uh, to have people come and talk to them and ask questions in that way, and they may do some form of divination around the question that the person brings to them. So basically, you do divination for whatever reason it feels appropriate to do divination for. And of course, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, not everybody who does divination is involved in, um, in shamanism. Sometimes divination is just divination. But let's talk about some of the other forms of divination that people practice, that shamans practice. Pebble divination. Now, that's a popular form of divination in Tibet, in Mongolia, and across Central Asia in lots of different cultures. In Kazakhstan, for instance, it's, it's one of the methods. And they all tend to be fairly similar, but with regional differences. They very often involve 41 stones, and the stones are collected from different sacred sites, Different cultures have different kind of criteria as to where the stones should be collected from. But whichever, wherever, however you collect the stones, 
Um, you collect them, you keep them all together, you do ceremonies to bless them and prepare them, and you only keep them for the divination. And like with most divinations, you will kind of call upon the spirits to help you. You will kind of breathe on the stones, just like you would breathe on the uh, the dice or the, uh, the knuckle bones. Um, just as an aside there, breathing on things empowers them and it puts your kind of intent and your spirit into them. So it's always kind of good. And we kind of do it, you know, we, even nowadays we might breathe on dice as a sort of, you know, huff on them as it were for luck. I mean, this is, this is again, an incredibly ancient human dynamic. So... You've got your stones, you've got 41 stones. Some uh, systems have 42, um, but only 41 stones are used in the divination itself. And there are methods of dividing these up into piles, into nine separate piles. And whichever stone occurs in each of the nine piles, it has a set meaning. And you read that, you read that by the number of stones and by the actual stone itself, because certain stones are given particular meanings. And so you kind of learn to look at the spread of these nine piles of stones and work out what the stones are saying. It's quite complicated. I'm actually learning a Mongolian system at the moment, um, being taught to me by a Mongolian shaman friend. And it, it is very complicated. They say that uh, you can kind of learn it and get to grips with it in, in a year or two, but it takes a lifetime to master. The Mongolian system that I'm learning is uh, a closed system. It's it's uh, in inverted commas, esoteric, in that it's not an open tradition that I could teach other people. You know, I've been asked not to pass it on, um, and so I can't. But there are traditions that are not as clearly defined, not as, as intricately laid out and taught, um, but they are available openly on the internet. I recently came across one uh, from Central Asia. I think it was from Kazakhstan. It might have been from Uzbekistan. And uh, it was pretty much the same system, but the, the website that showed it didn't go into the same degree of detail. But it will give you a bit of an idea. If you Google 41 stone divination system, I'm sure you'll find it online and then you can kind of have a look at it and learn a little bit about it. Another incredibly simple form of divination that is often employed by Mongolian shamans is that they will throw a cup of milk. This often happens at the end of a ceremony or at the end of an empowerment to see if the ceremony, if the healing, if the empowerment has kind of taken, in inverted commas. They will uh, place a, a, a cup of milk, often on a drum, and they will kind of toss the drum and this will toss the cup into the air and if the cup lands upside down then the spirits have rejected it and the process the ceremony the healing will be done again until the uh, the cup lands the right way up with the milk still in it and then at that point generally the person taking the initiation or the healing will drink the milk as a kind of blessing from the spirits so kind of run out of time on this podcast so I'm going to continue it next time and do some other bits and pieces about divination including mirror divination which is another technique that I use quite a lot and there are also techniques using malas the buddhist prayer beads but enough that's for next time 
You might like to know that I recently wrote a book about divination, including all of those sort of ones I was talking about from the old Silk Road, the old Tibetan ones, the dice, and the uh, there's others in there. There's some coin divinations and all sorts of bits and pieces, and the uh, the knuckle bones too. And um, the book is called A Little Book of Revealing, and I self-published it. It's a paperback, it's full colour, it's got all the instructions in it, and things like how to make dice and whatever. And uh, you can get it from this link. It's not available in bookshops, but you can get it from this link and go and have a look at it if you'd like to. And the address to go to is bit.ly forward slash book of revealing. I'll spell that. So it's www.bit.ly forward slash b-o-o-k-o-f-r-e-v-e-a-l-i-n-g bit.ly forward slash book of revealing and uh, yeah go and have a look and see if you like it and uh, it'll you know it's as i say it's got all the sort of bits and pieces in it which will enable you to do some of these divinations yourself uh sacred hoop magazine sacredhoop.org forward slash offer dot html and sacredhoop.org forward slash sample dot html if you'd like to support the podcast then uh, please do so and you can send a PayPal donation to donation at sacredhoop.org. The website for this podcast and the kind of Three Worlds Gallery and some articles and things to download is three number three three worlds.co.uk and my email address is nick at sacredhoop.org. I think that's probably about it. So, until next time, keep throwing the dice, keep casting the bones, keep throwing the runes. Ha! Never a dull moment. Bye-bye.